Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right. Back here on the Investor Coaching Show. This is interesting. Apple. You know, we were talking about that a little bit earlier and how they're having a little bit of issue in China. China basically saying, hey, you know what? Uh, if you have a government job, which is about all China, you got a government job because that's what that's who owns the companies in, in China, right? Uh, you know, they're looking at bans on the iPhone for the government workers in China. There was an interesting little piece in the Wall Street Journal about a guy that took on Apple and uh, and won. He says elections in the smallest country in the European Union aren't supposed to matter to billions of people around the world. But it wasn't long after Malta sent a young politician, Alex Saliba, to Brussels that he began to exert his influence. The first thing he did once he got there was voice his concern that Tunisian boats were illegally catching fish and rightfully belonged to the Maltese fleet. Then he turned his attention to Apple. Elected official from Malta would shape consumer behavior across the planet when he told the world's most valuable company to redesign its most valuable product. Last year, the EU, European Union, passed a law that would require new handheld electronic devices to be equipped with USB-C ports by next year. My wife and I have in this conversation. Why don't they make the port on the doggone thing a USB-C? Why don't they do that on the on the iPhone? And, and uh, you know, apparently that wasn't. Uh, we weren't the only ones worried about that. Most phones, laptops, and other popular gadgets already use the port because you got to have all these different cords for everything. Makes you crazy. And it says that most phones, laptops, and other popular gadgets use the port that makes it easy to charge all your devices. With one cord. You know, you have to carry about 18 different cords around. And it's like, my computer case looks like spaghetti. <laughs> Mine too. I mean, you reach in there, it's like, Where's the, I know I got one of those in here someplace. Mm-hmm. They say the common charger is common sense. And this one law will simplify our lives in a small but meaningful way. And that was the case that this uh, this politician made. When he stood in front of the European Parliament last year, he reached into a box and he had slept from his home in Malta and pulled out a mess of tangled cables. Like I said, it looked like my place, my, my, my court case. And, uh, and, and he basically said, we're going to, we need to push. He says, today we are replacing this pile of chargers with one. That's what we're going to do. And apparently there, there's... Um, you know, it, and I think that the, the case here, it, the point is, is this. You know, sometimes we think we can't ever have an effect on anything in life. And sometimes when you just take a stand and it makes sense, people do listen. But I think I read something about that last year when it was coming up. Because there was a, and it might have been Europe, they were talking about creating a law like that because <laughs> it, what, there was like, millions and millions of wires in the landfill because you can no longer use them. Mm. Like the USBs. Now, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like the USB is in 
popular anymore. It's hard to throw it out, out old technology, though, isn't it? Do you oh, find I, that's hard? Uh, I mean, you yeah, get this I, old stuff and you go, that's obsolete. Nobody uses that anymore. But and, it's hard to throw it and out. I have boxes of stuff at home. I think to myself, I should really throw this away. <laughs> oh, I, I look at some of the stuff that's in, you know just in my little supply cabinet here uh -huh. at the office. And I go, I really need to throw that out. Yeah. And I, I should probably throw it out just to clean it up. And if I ever actually needed it again, I mean, they're cheap enough to just go buy one. Yeah. Do you think uh -huh. you'll ever need it again? <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But I mean, what do I need? I, I probably have, I would guess, about VGA eight, cords. Probably eight of them <laughs> for the computer. Yes, exactly. VGA cords, um, you know, for the screens. Um, I probably will never need them again. Target practice with the old computers. That's what, I, that's what we've been doing around here, pulling out the old hard drives. Uh -huh. Target practice. Yeah, I'm not allowed to, you know, uh, just not, fire not a your, gun in my Not in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Not in the county I live in. And, oh, that's for, well, not in county either. Yeah, huh? you can't discharge in, in Davidson County. At, at all. Unless you're at a gun range. Well, but I can't go in my backyard and do it. Well, yeah. Okay, so uh, on a more practical thing, let's say that you are thinking about Roth IRAs versus... 401ks, traditional 401ks, and making a decision about that. That's something else I was reading about this week. Roth uh, IRAs or Roth 401ks? A Roth 401ks. Okay. A Roth, Roth period. Roth choice versus traditional. Pre-tax versus post-tax. Uh, that's a, a big topic of conversation in a lot of the financial publications this week. Um, and one of the things, you know, I hadn't really thought about a whole lot in terms of this and really mentioned a whole lot. And I think it, a lot of it, it just comes down to we live in a state – that has a constitutional amendment against having a state income tax mm -hmm. you know, in Tennessee. And I was seeing something about, uh, should you move to Kansas after retirement? I don't know why Kansas. It was, it was San Francisco versus Kansas. It was a debate about that, I, and I wasn't quite sure exactly where they were coming from on that. But um, what, uh, what is interesting in this conversation is – the myths about this, you know, and really what you got to look at is what rate am I avoiding when I put money into a qualified plan versus what am I going to pay taxes or what am I likely to pay taxes on? And the thing is, we just don't ever know is what the tax rates are going to be down the road, right? But one of the things that you don't necessarily think about is let's say that you happen to live in a state like Tennessee mm -hmm. and you're thinking about, do I do post-tax Roth IRA, put the money in, let it grow. If you're young and you're in a super low tax bracket, like 10%, 12%, it makes it a little bit more reasonable to think Roth IRA. Yep. You know, if, if you're thinking in terms of, you know, which one do I do? Because if I'm going to be successful in the future, I'll probably be in a higher tax bracket in the future. Uh, we will, you know, in, in, and they're very well maybe likely to some. And you want to, you know, typically you want to think about, you know, should I tax diversify? Should I have some pre-tax money and some post-tax money? And I like having non-qualified money too, which is subject to capital gains treatment. The three-legged so, stool, I used to call it. Yeah, it's just outside of the regular tax code. The capital gains rates have, you know, typically been at different rates than regular. But think about this. Where are you going to retire to? Are you going to retire to a state that has an income tax. And if you are going to retire to a state that does have an income tax, there may be more reason to think Roth, 
especially if you're in those lower income tax rates, because when you pull that money out, when you're living in that new state, you could end up with income taxes. Mm -hmm. yep. Now, that's not just a no-brainer, because you know, we have people that listen to this show all around the country. And that's not a no-brainer, because one of the things you got to think about is that there are some states, I think Massachusetts is one of them, as, as I recall, that when you put money into an IRA, that you get a federal tax deduction, but you don't get a state tax deduction. You know, so you'll, but in most states, let me just put it this way. In most states that do have a state income tax, there is the ability to take a deduction when you make the contributions. So, you know, if you're sitting in, in a state and you're happy to listen to the show and you do have a state income tax and you have a state that actually mirrors the federal tax system in that you get a deduction, it makes it a little bit easier to go, hey, maybe I might go pre-tax because I get a federal income tax deduction and a state income tax deduction. But you know, think a lot about that as far as when you're, you know, where am I going to retire to? And you may be one of these people that go, you know, my kids, and, and lots, that's the reason a lot of people move to states with state income taxes because mm -hmm. they feel like paying state income taxes. Right. Is because my kids now. My kids live there. They're in, I'm going to go to the grandchildren. Exactly. Grandchildren are there, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, think in terms of that's just another thing to think about. But, you know, really, uh, there has been this push toward Roth IRAs. And you've probably heard me talk about this before. Are we going to go to a consumption tax in the future? And, and they're going to, you know, the government's going to be kind of pushing, pushing for Roth IRAs so that they get their tax money right now. And then all of a sudden in the future, you're not avoiding anything because they've, they've lowered income tax rates. Just don't know. Well, if you think about what's going on, um, at the end of, what is it, 2025, mm -hmm. we the have increase. a sunset on the mm -hmm. tax cuts from Trump. Right, from so right, you know, 10, 12 and going to 15. And, right. So right now is a very good time for advisors to scare their clients into moving some of their money. Or doing something different. And I don't think it's even you yeah, know, where just, they're, they're doing it, you know for any reason that's you know for self-interest but but it's no, just a, I, I don't i don't necessarily think it's for self-interest but the alert is there it makes them give them something to light the fire so to speak of you need to be doing this right now um yeah because if you don't do it you know it's right now and you know with taxes being lower it does make a little more sense to put the money into the roth even though you might be paying a little bit more but if you if you wait then putting the money into the Roth in two years, if the laws don't change, then you're going to be paying even more money in taxes if you do it then. One of the things that I don't talk about enough in regards to this conversation, and you know, let, let me just put it here in, in terms of thinking about this. Many times I think that people will put money in pre-tax investment vehicles simply because, yeah, you know what, I'm going to get a tax deduction doing this. And let's say I'm going to use, I'm going to use an example of a 20% tax bracket, just to use a nice round number. Mm -hmm. If let's say that I put money in a pre-tax investment vehicle and I can afford from my budget $10,000, I'm just going to use that as a nice round number. I can afford to put away $10,000. Think in terms if you're doing pre-tax and you're in a 20% tax bracket, putting away 12500 because what will happen is you will save $2,500 in taxes 
using my example, if I put, you know, if I put 12,500 away and I take that times 0.2, that's 2,500. So that's my taxes. So if I were to go, if I were going to go and put the money in a Roth IRA, I have 10,000 that would go in the Roth IRA. I could put 12,500. So that $2,500 that I put pre-tax gets to earn income for me. So make sure you do those tax calculations when you're making these decisions. Don't, don't just do it based on what my tax bracket is. I, I just want to make that out there because there is, we've been talking about behavioral the entire show. Mm-hmm. And that is another behavior that you got to think about. If you're an undisciplined person that's not going to do the calculation, you may do Roth because <laughs> you'll be happily surprised you don't have any taxes in the future. Uh, but, and, you know, the reality of it is with those tax savings and, and you know, think about it in terms of your budget, it may be a really good idea to go pre-tax, especially if you do indeed put the tax savings to work in the investment vehicles in the future. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's been listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get an initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right, back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler, along with Ira Work, talking about money and investing. And we did a workshop this week, and it was on IRA. I froze. That was on indexing. I almost said IRAs because my mind was on IRAs, on indexing and the issues with indexes and the problems that you can run into, the weighting issues, the portfolio. And it was just it really surprised me doing research for the workshop, how much money was actually in the indexing of uh, portfolios. And because back when we started years ago, Ira, that just wasn't there. I mean, you didn't, you didn't hardly had any money in that. And it was kind of a new concept. And, and Stossel was throwing darts at the stock tables, and, and we were all laughing about it. And now it's what's happened. It's become kind of the thing. And a lot of people are, are missing the costs, you know, of uh, and the expenses, the hidden expenses of these portfolios. So, Well, when I started in the business, Paul, mutual funds had an 8.5% commission rate. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so, no, index funds were not even on the radar back in 1984. Um, it was all active management or hyperactive management and just throwing throwing darts at whatever to put together a portfolio. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no science behind it. 
And then, of course, you know, Burton Malkiel had his book, Random Walk Down Wall Street, which is, that was a great read. You it's know. still a great read. It is. It, it was, it was such an interesting read. And it was, I loved his look back at the 1960s and, and how, you know, had all these companies and that's what everybody wanted to invest in. You know, the, the companies that had Tronics after their name. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how funny is that? That that's what we got attracted to. If a company had Tronics in its name, we it automatically pushed the share value, the price up of the stock. And then you get into the oil companies in the 70s. And then you get into you know the technology companies in the late 90s. And all of a sudden, you couldn't get enough of technology companies. And that drove prices up. And then you had unsustainable. I mean, we didn't know until after the fact, but some of these prices were un- unsustainable because the companies didn't really have anything behind them. Right. And then, you know, it was uh, Charles Ellis' book, Investment Policy, mm-hmm. and I learning about what an investment policy statement is. You know, like, how, how do you typically describe an investment policy statement to a client? You know, what do you typically say to people? It's the agreement that you have as an investor, we have as the coaches and, and, and money managers of how the portfolio is going to be managed. What will be the makeup of stocks percentage to bond percentage? What's the goal rate of the portfolio? It's goal, goal rate, explain. Goal rate, meaning what type of return are we expecting over what period of time? Mm-hmm. Because a portfolio that has 85% stock can actually drop a lot more than a portfolio that has 70% stock. So therefore, it could take a couple, three more years or four more years if we go into a downturn like we did in 2000 to 2002 for the portfolio to come back. Uh, so we have to be a lot more patient with a portfolio depending upon how much more uh risk is in that portfolio. Uh, are we going to talk about rebalancing the portfolio? How is it going to be rebalanced? What's going to be allowed in the portfolio? Are we going to allow to do option strategies? Are we allowed to buy a margin? Meaning, are we buying more securities than we're actually putting money into the portfolio? Using borrowed money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, and paying interest on that borrowed money. Mm-hmm. So these are all part of a good investment policy statement, and we think everybody should have it. The interesting thing is, it's actually a requirement by the Department of Labor for pension plans and 401k plans. And that's what Charles Ellis said in investment policy. And I read that, and I had been a financial advisor for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many times you've ever seen anybody that's actually had an investment policy statement, which spells out expected return, what you know what we can what we can't do when the portfolio will be changed what under what conditions will change the portfolio i never see them well the first 17 years of my career i never gave out one i never had a client sign one um for the last uh 20 plus years uh 22 years i provide them to my clients my clients sign them uh but i've never had anybody come into me from another firm that had one no never that's it. I mean, that's it's really important to understand that investment policy statements, if it's good for a pension plan, it's probably a good idea for you as well. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. 
Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.